You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Today, I'm going to begin a new series talking about mindsets, mindsets that matter, mindsets that matter. We just finished a series on the church a couple weeks ago uh, where we looked at uh, having a life that's built to last and how God does something in the church that's meant to last beyond our life to, to, to charge the gates of hell, to build his kingdom, to advance the purpose of God, but also to see and walk in our own God-given purpose uh, and see that lived out and build on something that does last. Last week, we looked at uh, a standalone message. If you missed it, I want to encourage you to listen to the podcast because uh, if you have an area of your life that you would like to move forward in, that was for you. And so I think every one of us has areas where we want to see God move us forward. Today, we're going to begin a a short series just for a couple weeks, uh, but we're going to look at mindsets that matter. And today's message, if you're taking notes, is an uncommon mindset, an uncommon mindset. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to start. Colossians chapter 3 Verses one and two, here's what it says. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. So, so Jesus didn't just die on the cross. He was buried in a tomb three days later and he conquered sin, conquered death, conquered the grave, and he rose to life. Come on, church, isn't that good news? Wow, that was awful. <laughs> Jesus conquered sin, death, hell, the grave, and he did it for you. That's good news, if I've ever heard it. And Jesus overcame everything that overcame you and me. I, it doesn't count now, the second time, it doesn't. You, you gotta do it the first time. But, but here's, here's why that's important to celebrate, because Jesus conquered all those things that had overcome us, and he is seated right now. If you wanna know where Jesus is, he's not like any other historical figure that's in the grave, dead and buried. Jesus rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, and sat down, and right now is at the right hand of the Father until he comes back in glory and power and honor. But Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he's seated. What does it mean he's seated? One, he's at rest because his work is finished, but he's also seated in triumph and victory. And that's good news, church, because there are a lot of things that make us unsettled that don't unsettle Jesus. There's a lot of things that we worry about, but they're under his feet. And if we live with that perspective, I'm going to deal with that a little bit today. We need to, here's here's what Paul said. Here's the next thing we need to do. Set your mind then. In light of that, set your mind on things above not on things on the earth. I had a pastor years ago who used to tell me that uh, sometimes we become so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. And I know what he meant by that. He was saying, you know, it doesn't matter if I focus on angels if I didn't pay my light bill and feed my kids. That, that's, that's, okay, super practical, very good. But also, I think it's more true that many times Christians, Bible-believing, God-loving Christians, church-attending Christians, all of that, we become sometimes so earthly-minded, we're no heavenly good either. We become so preoccupied with what's right in front of us that we miss an eternal purpose, a God-given purpose, and I think a lot of that comes down to this issue we're gonna look at today and over the next couple weeks, this issue of mindset. Everyone has a mindset. Uh, We set our minds on things all the time. In fact, here's what I know. When Jesus saved you, he, he brought you from death to life. You were born again. He gave you a home in heaven, but there's one thing Jesus will not do, and it's change your mindset. Is that true? It's absolutely true. 
Because here's what he does. He saves you, he, he causes you to be born again, but you have to take his word and transform the way you think with the truth of his word. How many of you know the day you got saved, there was still some stuff in between your ears that had to get fixed? There was still some things that you still looked at things the way maybe your family used to, the way the world looks at it, the way religion even looked at it, and yet it's not in line with the mindset that comes from God. Can I just tell you that not all mindsets are created equal? Not all mindsets are healthy. Not all mindsets are good and necessary. Some mindsets are built on lies, and some mindsets are built on what's true. Our mindsets come from our education. They come from our experiences. They come from what we read, listen to, and hear. They come from our family life. They come from our relationships, who we get around. Uh, relationships are, excuse me, mindsets are contagious. In fact, here's how I know mindsets are contagious. Watch this. In Second Chronicles 36, there's a story of a king of Judah who was not faithful to God. His mindset was to depart from God. Here's what it says in verse 13 in the Message Bible. This king, the king of Judah, became set in his own ways, his own stubborn ways. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can relate to that. And so he's set in his own stubborn ways, but he never gave God a thought. Repentance, which we'll unpack in a moment, never even entered his mind. The evil mindset then spread to the leaders and the priests, that's the religious leaders of Israel, and filtered down all the way to the people. And it kicked off an epidemic of evil, repeating the abominations of the pagan nations and polluting the temple of God so recently consecrated in Jerusalem. So, so it hadn't even been a generation and things were already going south because of the mindset that started with the king. It went all the way down to the people and God, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent messages, warning messages to them out of compassion for both his people and his temple. God wanted to give them every chance possible. And I just wanna remind you that God has not changed his operation. He doesn't change the way he works. He is always wanting to give us every chance possible to find and discover his will for our lives. But 16, it says they wouldn't listen. Their mindsets actually kept them from life. Their mindsets actually affected everything. In fact, the Bible uses this phrase of our thought life and says that our thoughts can actually be like strongholds. Strongholds that keep us from freedom, keep us from victory, keep us from life, keep us from moving forward. Uh, one pastor says that our, our life will often move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So whatever is preoccupying my thought life, my attention, my mindset, my worldview, it's gonna affect the direction that I go. If my mindset is a hammer, everything's a nail. I'm gonna see the world through the lens of my mindset. And I wanna challenge you as we look at this series to allow your mindset, your worldview, your life, the way you see life to be built on the truth of the word of God. Proverbs 23, seven says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your identity is shaped by how you see your own life is often shaped by your strongest thoughts. And not all of those may be good or helpful or necessary or life giving even to you. And I just believe that the two most important things in your life that you need to know and you need to think about is first, what you know about God, what you believe about God. 
The second is then, as a result of that, what you believe about yourself. Those are the two most important things in your entire life that you believe. The first is the most necessary, and I think it's the single most greatest contributor to a mindset that leads to life or a mindset that leads to death, is how I see and view God. Our view of God is shaped by a lot of things, sometimes shaped by our culture, shaped by the world, shaped by our family tradition, by religion itself. And when I use the term religion, here's what I mean. It's man's efforts to do things for God, but not always needing God to be involved. <laughs> like religion, we can point a, p- a finger at somebody else and go, that's religion. But religion's anytime I live on principle instead of a relationship with a person, instead of knowing God. Like I can take a class but not know a person. Jesus invited his followers, not just to know information about him, but to actually follow him. And then he gave us his word, and his word becomes a foundation that Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words won't pass away. My words will last, my words will stand the test of time, and that's something we can build our life on. Here's the point, that our mindset should be shaped the way we see our life, our family, our marriage, our relationship with our kids, the world around us should be built on and shaped by the truth, first of who God is, and then what God has said about us. So God, throughout his word, reveals several names. And these names begin with Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. The first name in Hebrew that's given is just a more general term for God. It's, it's Elohim, and it's the word that means the divinity and multiplied strength and nature of God who set apart. That's what Elohim means, that God is apart. He's God, I'm not. He's distinct. He's unlike anything. He's the creator. We're the creation. But then he begins to begin a relationship, first with Abraham, and then with those that would come from Abraham. And he would enter into a covenant with them and he would reveal himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he gave a name to them that was very special. In fact, it was considered so special that the Israelites that would come after would not even write it down or repeat it carelessly. And it was the name Yahweh or Jehovah. Yahweh meaning Lord, but not just Lord as the ruler, although that's at its heart what that means, but it's also a personal Lord, that he's a personal God, that he's not distant like the statues and idols that the nations worshiped and tried to appease their anger, but, but this is a living God who's alive and real and wants them to know him, wants to set them free from their Egypt and their shame and their sin and their past and bring them into his promised land. And God says, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord. And it's that personal covenant name of God that Israel would get to know him by. And then as time goes on, he begins to reveal different attributes of his nature because God's names reveal his nature. Not just what he does, but who he is. See, if I know that God is a miracle worker, but I don't know it's not just something he did 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, but it's his nature. It's in the DNA, so to speak, of God. It's who he is, and it's what he always does. God said to Israel, I'm Jehovah Yahweh Rapha, the Lord that heals thee. When he's telling them that, he's letting them know, I am the healer. I don't just heal, it's who I am. It's my nature. And if you know the nature of God and you have a relationship with that God, you know that he will do it again. 
Abraham offers his son on an altar in, in obedience to God. He brings his son and then God says, no, I've got a substitute for you to take the place of your son. And he brings a ram caught in the thicket. And, and Abraham offers that ram in the place of his son as a picture of what Jesus one day would do for us, that Jesus would be our lamb and take our place on a cross. And when Abraham has that whole moment with God, he builds an altar and he says, you are Jehovah Jireh. The Lord that provides. In other words, I had a need and you provided that need. It's not just what you do, it's who you are. God, you're not just distant, you're actually very close. He's Jehovah Shammah. That's one of the names of God in the Old Testament. He's the Lord that's present. Not distant, not far, but close, present. Many people view God as distant and far away, uncaring, unkind, indifferent to their life and their struggle and even their own failures. But God is not distant, he's present. He's a very present help in time of trouble. All these names, we won't have time to unpack them through this series, but we're gonna highlight a couple of them to help us shape our mindset, our worldview, and our view of our life on the truth of who he is. That's the foundation. He's Jehovah. The Lord's our provider. The Lord our healer. He's Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, our banner of victory. These mindsets shaped by the truth of the word of God establish a foundation that we can build our life on. All of those names in the Old Testament point to a name that's above every other name, the name of Jesus. The only name given by which we're saved, by which we're rescued, by which we're redeemed and forgiven and restored. It's that name that reveals the nature of who God is. Philippians chapter four, verse eight says, now dear brothers, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things, things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What do you set your mind on? In fact, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you thought about what you thought about? I know life's so busy and we just go about our day, clock into work, clock out of work, uh, get a meal together, hurry up, put the kids to bed and, and start all over again tomorrow. And yet we're on this cycle and we never slow down often enough to see what am I really thinking about? What's my mindset? How am I viewing God and how am I viewing my own life in light of who God is? What does Paul say here in Philippians? He says, fix your eyes, fix your attention, fix your mind on what is noble and pure and holy. Do you know what I'm not gonna do? I'm not gonna, as a pastor, stand up here and say, hey, you know that one show? You shouldn't watch that one show. You know that one movie? You shouldn't watch that one movie or listen to, you shouldn't listen to Taylor Swift show. Okay, I'm saying that for Pastor Shelby. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that was funny. Um, Because here's what happens, here's what we should do. We should fix our eyes. This is the filter that I run things in my life through to see, is this something that I need to fill my life with? Is this producing life? Sometimes I'll, I'll have stuff that won't pass this filter and honestly, why would I fill my thoughts with something that actually Jesus died on the cross to save me from? Fix your thoughts on what is noble, what is pure, what is holy, all those things. And I wanna challenge you today as the church that we raise our attention and we set our eyes on who God is. Jesus challenged and confronted mindsets. He did it with his very first opening sermon. Here's what he said in Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, proclaim, and to say, repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word repent, we, we often think of, maybe we associate with, well, crying or feeling sorry for something or coming to an altar. And, and we, do, we, we do the altar, so I believe that God meets us at the altar. I'm gonna invite you at the end of this service to encounter God at the altar. But repent, you can come to an altar, you can even cry, you can even feel bad about something and not repent. To repent in Greek, it's a Greek word, metneo. It means, if we can put this on this, well, I don't think I have this for the notes. It, it means to change the mind. So, so here's the idea, that repent means literally to change the way I think, change my mindset, which then changes my course of life. So, so let me give you an example. If, if I'm driving on I-35 northbound, going to Minneapolis, and I change my mind, I say, you know, really what I want to do is go to, to Des Moines. I'm going to go south. But I end up two hours later in Minneapolis, did I change my mind? Because no. <laughs> a change of mind leads to a change of direction. It changes everything else. My mindset affects everything else in my life. And Jesus preaches this message to say, repent, change your mind towards God, towards your sin, towards yourself, your own recognition of need of God, for the kingdom of heaven is within reach. It's at hand. God says, I've got so much for you. It's available. Will you see it? Will you experience it? And I think it starts with, for us, as believers in Jesus, as worshipers, it starts with how we view God. Do we have a high view of God or a low view of God? There's a name I wanna focus in on today, and it's found in Isaiah chapter 40. Here's what it says, verse 25. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One, the Holy One of Israel. In Hebrew, it's the name Jehovah Kadosh. And we do have the definition of Kadosh, if we could put that on the screen. It's different from what's common. Cut out from what's ordinary. A cut above all the rest. When God says, I'm Jehovah Kadosh, he's saying, I am the Holy One, the Holy God, the Holy Lord. Here's the idea. Holy, you know, I, I used to read the Bible and not, when I first studied it, I didn't understand what holy was. I thought just holy had to do with what we do. But holy doesn't start with what, it starts with who. It starts with a person, the person of God, who is holy. What does it mean that he's holy? He's uncommon. <laughs> he's not like anything you've ever seen. He's not like anything you've ever known. He's a cut above all the rest all the rivals, all the things that have captured and fought for your affection, your attention, and your worship in your life. Because everybody's a worshiper. It's not if we worship, it's what we worship, who we worship. Even the atheist who doesn't believe in God worships something, maybe it's themselves. But we all worship something, but there's all these other competitors and God is different from everything else. Lift up your eyes, he says in verse 26. Look to the heavens. Who created all these? who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. That's amazing. This God, I think last estimates they've revised in astronomy is that we, they, they expect there's something like two to three trillion galaxies, probably gonna be more that we begin to observe as we get better and better technology. But here's, here's the idea. Within most of those, on average, there's something like 100 million stars in the average galaxy, and yet... God knows them all by name. We'll never know them all by name. He knows them all by name. 
He says, I'm, that's, that's the holy one. That's the one that's uncommon. He calls them forth each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Why then do you complain, O Jacob? And why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. In other words, have you ever said to God, you've forgotten about me? You've lost my phone number? <laughs> you don't have my address anymore? God doesn't care about me. People don't care about me. And God's saying to them, he says, listen, if I remember the stars and call them by name and not one of them's missing, how much more do I know you? Why are you saying that I've forgotten about you? Do you not know, verse 28, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. See, the opposite of holy is actually not simply unholy. Like, that's what I would think. It's just unholy. But you know what the Bible tells us? If, if kadosh means uncommon, then the opposite of holy is common. Church, if you would just capture this. We treat, see, see in my, as a pastor, many times we, we want people to understand how accessible God is. He's available for every one of us. He's, he's drawn near. He sent Jesus to, to seek and save what was lost. And because he's available and even accessible because of his sacrificial death and, and, and what Jesus offered for us on the cross, we sometimes take it too far and think just because he's available, he's also common. When we have a low view of God, our worship is low when we have a high view of God and recognize he's not like anything else I will ever see or ever know. He's uncommon. The Bible says to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Why is holiness beautiful? I, I, when religion takes holiness, it makes it something not beautiful. <laughs> I, I've been in environments, unfortunately, that are more religiously focused than they are God-focused and I remember years ago, I, had, I was a young guy on fire for Jesus, and I'm bringing people to a church. I've got a friend who who's goes to this church her family was in, and I, I bring him there, and, and, I, and the youth pastor gets up to speak, and the youth pastor uh, finds out, because in their culture and tradition, women wouldn't wear pants. Women could only wear dresses at this church. And, and so the youth pastor decides, this is a great time to change my sermon to why women should not wear pants. True story. After I heard that, I thought, I'm never bringing anybody to this church ever again. <laughs> but why does the Bible call holiness beautiful? Religion makes it something other than that. But holiness is beautiful because it's exceptional. It's rare. It's not common. It's not ordinary. It's a cut above. When you look at a sunrise, as we sang about, the God who creates a sunrise, why does it take your breath away many times when you see a beautiful sunrise? Because it's unique and it's uncommon. It's exceptional. Some of you just sleep in. You've never seen a sunrise. You're missing out. I know, because you come to second service. It's okay. <laughs> Different than common. I want to challenge you today to approach God as holy. Not like anything else you've ever seen. There is no such thing as an ordinary church service. Because we don't just gather together as a people, but we gather together in the presence of a holy, uncommon, amazing God who still holds the stars together, who still forms the heavens and the earth and says, I don't want to be distant, I want to be close. 
That's amazing. And that same God who's holy, and because of my sin, I was separated from him. He made a way for me through Jesus to have boldness to enter into the, Hebrews 10 says, the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We can enter into the holiest. We can have access to the presence of a holy, uncommon God. And I wanna challenge you this because when we don't have a high view of God, we go from being worshipers to consumers. Even as Christians, we, we, we focus on what we can receive and there's nothing wrong with receiving. All of us needed to receive from God. But if we stay as consumers and don't move into worshipers, it will always be about us. And I've learned that I'm a, I'm a husband and a father before I'm a pastor. And it matters to me that my kids are happy. Definitely matters to me that my wife's happy. Happy wife, happy life. You know the wisdom. Do you know there's actually something more important than both of that? Making my kids happy and my wife happy. It's making God happy. As a pastor, it matters to me that you're happy. Like you had a coffee, you're happy. <laughs> You enjoy coming together. We enjoy the church. We should enjoy church. But my primary responsibility in leading this church and our team leading this church is that we make God, God happy above everything else. And in every area that you have in your life, if you would start with making God happy, being a worshiper, first and foremost, it'll change everything else. Your mindset will not be, what did I get out of this relationship, out of this environment, out of this job, out of that church service? Not what did I get out of it, but did I enter into it? Did I enter into the presence of God in that room? Did I step in and meet with God at church today? Did I glorify Jesus with, with how I raise my kids? Did I glorify Jesus with my marriage? I, and we begin to look at things. It's a mindset. And it starts with who God is. He's uncommon. He's not ordinary, but you know what? It doesn't stop there. He calls us to live an uncommon life, church. He calls us. Watch what it says in 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What does he say? You're chosen, you're royalty, and you're a holy nation. Church, he calls you and me uncommon. <laughs> if we, see, what's the issue? It's an issue of value. When I treat God as common, I just get used to God. Like I sing the songs, but my heart's not there anymore. I listen to the messages, but my heart's no longer connected with God. That's, that's the genesis of religion. In my life, when I can disconnect my heart, God would say to Israel, the religious leaders, he said, you, 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 you draw near to me with your lips, but your hearts are far. I can fool anybody, but I'm not fooling God. And God wants you, and he wants me, and he wants us completely. And he's uncommon, but here's the beautiful, amazing thing, is he also says, you have value. You are uncommon too. You are his own special people. Holy also declares and indicates that you're set apart for God. Why is that important? Because your life has value. I don't care what the world said. I don't care what your family history said. I don't care who left you, walked out on you. When they walked out, God walked in. That God ne who never leaves you and never forsakes you. He says, you matter to me. How do you know? Look at the cross. Look at the price that heaven was willing to pay for you and for me. The world will always tell you 
You're a name, you're a number, you're a statistic. Live for something less. God comes along and says, no, I'm calling you higher. Because I'm uncommon, you're uncommon too. You're my special people. God himself chose to dwell on the inside of you and your life. Don't ever settle, church. Don't ever settle for less. Watch what it says, 2 Timothy 1.9. He saved us and he called us with a holy calling. You have a calling from Almighty God. Sometimes we, I think, confuse calling and assignment. Your assignment changes with the season of life you're in, but your calling never does. (laughs) Your assignment is your kids while they're at home. Your assignment is your marriage. Your assignment is the job that God blessed you with. I know you didn't call it a blessing this week, but... but, but there's something about recognizing that what God's placed in your life and what God sent you is your assignment. But what happens when you retire, when the kids move out? What happens when the relationships change? What happens? Do you lose your calling? No, you change assignments, but you never lose your calling because your calling is an uncommon one. And when you live with an awareness that you are an uncommon people, here's what happens. You don't settle for ordinary. The people at your work, the gossip's common. Slander, backbiting, it's common. You're uncommon. (laughs) Fighting to get ahead, that's common. You're uncommon. Everybody can work hard when they're being watched by their boss, but you're uncommon because you work for God. What would happen if we approach every area of our lives like that? What if I realized in my marriage, it's not just, listen, God didn't give you a ball and chain. He gave you a blessing. Mindset. Are are you with me? If you realize your marriage is a blessing for you and for them, how will you approach it differently? Even more importantly, how do I approach my wife when I recognize that one day I'll stand before God and I'll have to explain how I treated his daughter? That's a whole other sermon. (laughs) That my kids are actually not mine. I'm gonna help some helicopter parents in the room. Ouch. Ouch. They're not mine, they're God's. And because my life is set apart, everything I have belongs to God. And when I live like that, I won't settle and I won't worry. I won't compromise my convictions. I won't worry about what I can't control because all of it's God's and I'm inviting him to be Lord of it all. If we can put that picture of the the city up, I think we, yeah, so this, I think this was Phoenix, yeah. This is a picture of pollution. I, I spent years in Phoenix. I love Phoenix. Uh, but sometimes you have days like this where there is heavy pollution. The wind uh, hadn't cleared it out. And, and you couldn't tell when you were in it that it was pollution until you got out of the city a little bit. And something happens when you live in what's common in the world. And, and you go along to get along and you go with the culture because that's what's popular and I don't wanna, I don't wanna offend anybody so I, I can't speak up. And I, I, You don't realize when you're in it, it's pollution until you separate from it, until you realize you're uncommon. Then you get out of it and go, how did I ever live in that? Well, here's what happens. You get used to it. How many of us are used to things that we're called to be overcomers in? 
How many of us are used to things that we're actually called to separate from or called to surrender? Are we used to what's normal and common when we're called to an uncommon life? Isaiah chapter six. I didn't forget points today, I promise. Some of you are like, it's not a sermon if there's no points. (laughs) Isaiah six, verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah 6.1, if we can put that on. So, so here's what happens. In the year King Uzziah died, I don't have time to unpack all that, but, but Uzziah was a good king in the beginning who, because of pride, missed the mark. And his generation, when he died, is mourning the failure of the leader of their culture and society. And so here's, here's the problem. When we're disappointed, sometimes that's all we can see. When we failed or others have failed, that's sometimes all we can see. Isaiah has a national disappointment. A guy he's actually ministered to. His hopes and dreams in that generation were wrapped up in something happening there. And yet, Uzziah died and it was a failure. And he could have just been focused on what was wrong. Can I just tell you, sometimes I just turn on the news to find out what's the issue this week. But then I realized there's actually something greater than just being preoccupied with what the enemy's doing or how people have failed. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. What did Isaiah need? He needed to see God. What do you need when you failed? What do you need when others have failed you? You need to see the Lord. He's still high and lifted up. Your present circumstance did not change his condition. His promise, his presence did not change it. What's going wrong in your life right now did not change the fact that he's still high and lifted up. And he's still faithful. And he's still true. And he's still good. And so watch what happens next. Uh, he sees some angels there. They're called seraphim. They have six wings. I mean, it's, it's a cool picture. But these angels in verse three, one cries to another. One cries to another. And here's what they say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The first thing we need, if you're taking notes, is an uncommon mindset has a high view, holds a high view of God. He's still holy. He's still true. He's still exalted. He's still the mountain mover. He's still the redeemer. My present situation has not changed who he is and can never bring him down from where he is highly exalted. The angels look at him and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The next statement is to me a little shocking in light of what I know about that generation. The whole earth is full of his glory. If you were to look at the world in Uzziah's day, it probably would not be described by most of us that way. Just like most of us can look at the world around us and see a lot of mess. And and yet, here's what the angels say. They're not pretending like there's not problems in the world, but they're looking at the world through the lens of who he is, through the lens of God's presence. Worship lifts your perspective. Prayer lifts your perspective. Why are you worried? Here's why the Bible says, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. Why? Because it lifts your perspective to the one who's high and exalted, who is still faithful to answer. 
the whole earth is full of his glory. Here's what, a, here's what an uncommon mindset does. Number two is an uncommon mindset. Seize the world, seize life, seize your relationships through heaven's perspective, through an eternal perspective. I know what that person did, which was not okay, but what if you looked at that person through an eternal perspective? What if you looked at your pain through the perspective of his healing? What if you looked at your disappointments through the perspective of a faithful God who is gonna work all things together for good? And the end of the story is gonna look a lot different than the beginning of the story. They cry out, the whole earth is full of his glory. Verse five, woe is me, Isaiah says, I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Jason, if you wanna come up. For my eyes have seen the king. What's the first thing Isaiah does? Do you know what's interesting in human nature? People start learning the Bible, they study the word, or they hear a message and they go, oh, that's really good. Somebody else needs to hear this. I really wish my wife had heard this. I really wish my husband heard this. And we begin to look, and here, if we take it even further, sometimes we learn something and then we use it as a weapon to judge others. What does Isaiah do when he sees the Lord? He says, I'm undone. An uncommon mindset does not excuse our own shame, our own sin, our own failures. It says, I'm undone in light of a holy God. I need the truth to transform me. But it, watch what happens next. He says, I'm unclean and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. We, we, we've all been saying a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> For my eyes have seen the king. Go to the next verse, verse six. And, and here's what he says. Here's what happens next. One of the angels, the seraphim, flew to me with a coal in his hand, which he took from the tongs of the altar. It's the whole prophetic vision he sees. He touched my mouth with it. Behold, the angel says to him, this has touched your lips, your iniquity, your sin is taken away, your sin is purged. An uncommon mindset sees ourselves through two things, God's truth and God's mercy. How do you view your own life? Do you see the failures? Do you ignore the failures? Here's what the truth of God does. The truth of God makes plain what I've tried to hide. Not to shame, but to free. And then he comes with his mercy. And he sets us free from our past. Isaiah was very clear about his own issues. What do you do when you encounter the truth of the word of God? I wanna challenge you. Don't use it as a weapon to attack another, but use it as a sword to pierce your own heart. Allow it to change you. And then God's mercy floods in and washes away his sin, cleanses his lip. You're uncommon. You're set apart for the purpose of God. The last thing that happens, verse eight, I also heard the voice of the Lord say this, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And, and I haven't read this whole passage to show you the whole picture, but here's, here's what's happened. God's on his throne and there's a multitude of angels surrounding the throne just like Revelation would show later. And, and God says, who will go for us? And he's not gonna send the angels. 
And Isaiah, who's right there before the presence of God, just a moment before is undone by his own issues, but he's redeemed. He, he says, here I am, Lord, send me. An uncommon mindset, number four, lastly, lives for something and someone more. People in life live for what's common all the time. In fact, let me just ask you a question. We're almost done. How many of you know your great-grandparents' names? Lift your hand. If you know your great-grandparents' names, that's pretty good. How many of you know your great-great-grandparents' names? Still a few. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do one more. How many know your great-great-great-grandparents' names? Two people. That's so impressive. They're on genealogy.com all the time. But did you see how few people still knew? You're just five generations removed from that ancestor, forefather. You're related to them and yet you don't know their name. Can I tell you the bad news? Five generations from now, they probably won't know who Brian or Zendis is even though they're my blood relatives. <laughs> and if I just live for my name, if I just live for my success, if I just live for my own agenda, how short-sighted would that be? That would actually be very common because that's what people do all the time. But what if you live for a greater name? God said, who will go for us? Who will we send? Not to build his kingdom, but to build mine. Who will go? Isaiah says, I'm right here. Uh, inadequate. Uh, I, I had unclean lips a few minutes ago. <laughs> I'm not, I don't have it all together, but I'll go. God's not looking for perfect. He's not looking for qualified. He's looking for available. And an uncommon mindset says, God, I'm yours. All of me. I'm here. Here I am. Send me. I want to leave you with this verse. In Isaiah 26, 8. Isaiah would get this prophetic word. And this is what his, the cry of his heart was towards God. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, your precepts, your plan, your will, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Isaiah says, here's what I'm living for. God, your name and your renown because there is a name that will outlast generations until Jesus returns. And for all eternity, there is a name that's greater. And I wanna call the church, call you, challenge you today to not settle for what's common, not settle for what's ordinary. There's more for you. Jacob mentioned it. Pastor Jacob said that during the offering. Like, look what God can do with what we bring to him. Look what God can do with your life. Look what God can do with your marriage. What would happen if you would see your life through the lens of his holy calling? Would you stand to your feet? You're not common, church. <laughs> You're not called to what's ordinary. You're not called to settle for what the world has to offer. 
for even what religion has to offer. But there's gotta be something on the inside that says, I am set apart for something greater. There's decisions in my life I've made to say no to certain things. It's because I've recognized that what God wants me to do is not common. And I would challenge that for you too. You're not common. So, so you can say no to certain things. You're separated from certain things, but there's actually a greater thing than even that. You're, you're able to say no to certain things because there's something far greater that you're called to say yes to. And I wanna ask you today, do you know that you're made for more than what the world has to offer? We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.